other churches from demoing to doing framing and installing windows. Our after-school tutoring program, we depend on churches that come in and mentor these kids, pray with these kids, and um, share the hope of Jesus with them. There is an opportunity for Christians all across our country to dive in with their urban brothers and sisters and to say, hey, we're in this with you. How can we partner with you together to further the kingdom of God?
Oh, my God. 
some time ago, Justin experienced a pretty wild bicycle accident. Apparently, he wanted to outdo me. Um, so it, it, it was horrendous, and it's affected his ability to work. Um, the recovery has been uh, just huge, and uh, that's a good thing for us to be praying for this family. But on top of that, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Erica uh, gave birth to little Tessa, and there were some complications during the birth that required an emergency C-section. And doctors have discovered that uh, little Tessa was deprived of oxygen for enough time that there's some significant brain damage there. Um, so, um, Jim's traveling back up from San Antonio. He should be back sometime today. Mandy's going to stay down there for a while. But uh, as a body, would you just uh, really surround Tim and Mandy Barker, uh, their daughter Erica, her husband Justin, as he's recovering from the accident, and then on top of this, little baby Tessa. All right? Our God's a healer, and we mm -hmm. pray that uh, he can do things that will amaze Tessa's doctors. So we want her to be a testimony of God's grace and power and praise. So I just wanted to give you that to, to be thinking about and to be praying about and to focus on that as a member of our, uh, a couple of members of our family here, what they're dealing with. Um, and if you do have something that you would like us to be praying for, please come and find one of us as elders uh, or staff here and we will definitely be, be, be praying for you. But today this is what I want to do for our time of sharing and our time of prayer. Uh, Evan, Pastor Evan, has been leading us through this series called Disciple. Uh, what it means to be more like Jesus, to do what Jesus does, to imitate Jesus in his, in his way. In Philippians 3.14, Paul lays out a really good pattern for us where he says that he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call, that's the goal to grow more into Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, to look more like him. So I'm gonna ask you today, what does that look like for you? Okay, what, uh, what would you like us to pray for so that you would be pursuing Christ more deeply uh, in the, the, the days, the, the months, the, the years to come? Okay, so how can we pray together as a body of Christ for that? Matt, are you going to run for us? Awesome. Matt's going to run for us because he's got a lot of energy today. Too much coffee, I suppose. I'm going to wait because I know people are going to be growing in Christ. <laughs> Next, because 
say she has a lot of uh, fighting with her husband because she was with <clears throat> somebody else. Anyway, so just praying, and then other sister just moved to her new apartment, which is also a bit praying for. So just thanking God for um, even my family far away, and I'm praying for them, and I see that He's working. And, you know, and in that, that's something that uh, we can all grow in, praying for people and giving thanks and praise for how God has been moving and working. And then continuing to keep on praying. Okay? Hi, Arlene. Um, I just want to thank you all for praying. Um, God really, when he talks about the body of Christ, it really is important that we're all together. And I know he's a healer, and when you talked about that for Tessa, I believe that for her. And um, I just thank you. I'm not with, I'm without pain, and the surgery went well, and I'm getting ambidextrous. <laughs> so, thank you. All right, thank you, Eileen, for that update. For those that did not know, Eileen got a little excited at the King & Country concert, apparently. And uh, fell, broke her wrist, had surgery Tuesday, yeah. and here she is uh, making sure she's gathered together with her family. And uh, there's another good area for all of us to grow in our pursuit of Christ is our togetherness with one another. Uh, we're not meant to just do this alone. And our salvation isn't just for our benefit alone, but for the benefit of people around us. Uh, so that's something we can pray for and grow in as well as we seek to stand with one another in prayer for one another. Okay, anybody else? Uh, so, messed up. Um, over the last six months, I've stepped into a couple new roles. One as a father, somehow. Um, and another just with, on, a, on, a camp, on the camp board, um, and with that, I, just prayers that I can become a more patient leader, um, especially with my daughter and my wife, and leading them where God wants them to go, and then with the camp board, patiently and listening, and all that is required there, as I will figure out along the way, um, leading that in the direction God wants it to go. Um, but just be, becoming more of a patient, thoughtful leader. Okay. All right. Thanks, Logan. That's a great one for growth in us. Ted, did you raise your hand? My dad had some uh, balloons put in his legs last year, and they're not working. They've collapsed, so they're getting together tomorrow to take another look at it to see if there are any other any other options besides amputation. So just pray for him. Let's okay. get uh, my grandma is very old and she has recently been put in the ICU with uh, COVID and pneumonia and she uh, has pretty bad emphysema and a bunch of other lung problems from being a smoker for the majority of her life. Um, so pray for her recovery. It's not really looking that good. And pray for my family down there. And 
my mom, my mom was deciding whether or not she needs to fly to Texas to see her. Um, yeah, so pray for my grandma and my family. Give your name for us real quick. Ben. Ben, thanks Ben. Yeah, you guys know me. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case there were some who did not, I was praying for you. So I'm trying to stay out of that, but um, I'm just having a hard time knowing what to do. So I'm just kind of waiting for God to just push me one way or the other. Um, I know what I'd like to do. I would like to stay doing what I do, but um, my health, I worry about that. So I'm just asking for prayers for that. I needed that. <laughs> Thanks for encouraging me in that day. Hi, Barb. On that note, um, I'm grateful Charlie's home, and we had our 38th anniversary Thursday. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful, Lord. We are grateful for this place uh, and for this gathering and for each one who is able to gather with us today. We pray for those who aren't able to be with us today. 
that even though they may be distant from us physically, that they're with us in spirit. And God, we just pray that you will draw us all in together at your feet. Uh, help us to continue to be a people of prayer. Help us to remember that you invite us to the throne of grace for help in time of need. Help us to remember that uh, our Savior is also our high priest. and He stands even now interceding on our behalf, praying for us. And help us to recall, Lord, that your Holy Spirit uh, within us is helping us to, uh, to, to pray in the words that we can't even uh, get out of our hearts. Uh, helping us to be able to make our prayers acceptable in your sight. So, Lord, may we continue to pray. May we pray more. May we pray more intensely, uh, more specifically, and more regularly and consistently for one another. Because, God, that's where you work. And uh, nothing supernatural is going to happen apart from prayer. And, and we need help. So, God, thank you again for gathering us together for that. Lord, thank you for Tetiana and the prayer warrior that she's been for her family. Uh, as they're facing some difficult times. And we pray that you will continue to just show mercy and grace, that you will use Tetiana as a witness to them, um, and that you will help them to find faith in Christ uh, that will help them through these difficult things, especially for her niece and what she's facing right now and the difficulties she's uh, having to endure. God, we pray your grace uh, would come upon her in a very powerful, mightily way. Uh, Lord, thank you for being with Eileen. Thank you that she's here with us today. And uh, as she reminded us how good it is to stand together as a body, may we be found doing that. Um, as disciples of Christ, may we not do it alone, but may we team up with one another, being your body uh, and representing you in the various ways that you have gifted us and enabled us to do that. Lord, as Logan is stepping into new roles, maybe all of us can think of areas where you have called us and where you've put us in place where we might be um, having to lead. And God, to do that requires so much patience and, uh, and long-suffering. So we pray, God, that the patience of Christ, which is a fruit of your spirit, would be developed in Logan and in each one of us in those areas, especially in our families. God, may you cause... Uh, uh, us as fathers and husbands um, to lead well in that area so that we can prepare our families uh, to spend eternity with Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, Ted's dad. Thank you for how Ted is just a servant. Um, man, if that's one thing Christ did well, yeah, was coming down here to serve us, and Ted's been following in that. Pray you'll continue to help him to grow in that and all of us to follow along with him. And we pray for Ted's dad, that God, your hand of grace and healing would be upon him. And for Ben's grandmother, Lord, as she's dealing with uh, COVID and pneumonia on top of a life of smoking, uh, it's going to be hard on her lungs. So God, she's, she is in your care right now and the best place that she could be. And we pray that you would show your hand mightily upon her and be with the family. As, uh, as, as they face this together and cause them to draw together with one another as a family. Lord, thank you for bringing uh, Deora to us. And uh, thank you, Lord, that in her life you've been bringing people to her to help her to realize where her value is. Thank you, Lord, that you valued us so much that you went to a cross to die for our sins. Lord, may we find each of us people in our lives that will continue to remind us of how you value us, God, and may we also be that sort of people uh, for others, uh, to help them to see the true worth, true value, not lies in the stuff of this world um, or the expectations of others, 
but just in the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for Kara. Uh, we pray, God, that you will bring insurmountable joy into her life to overcome the struggle with depression that comes from time to time. It's not just her, it's a lot of us. And so, God, we look to you and we pray that you will bring healing deep down inside of us in our hearts and our spirits. And also, God, as she desires to do what you want her to do, we pray that you will lead her in that. Uh, we pray, God, that you would even help her to rise up and maybe even to take steps and to allow you to direct her in those steps until she's exactly where you want her to be. And, and when she's there, God, she finds that joy. Lord, we pray for Mary, for Carrie. God, we just ask that you would just shower them with your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Pray that you will show them how mighty you can be in their lives and in their lives together. Uh, do a wonderful thing for them, God. And Lord, as Dayton has reminded us how, how we need to work, actually, to recall and to remember how you're moving in our life, how you're working in our life. May you cause us all together, Lord, to be people that are, you know, in a sense, building altars of stone, uh, laying up memorials for our lives. <laughs> and uh, giving you praise, giving you glory for those things, and, and remembering that as we do that, that we can be a witness to those around us. And Lord, thank you. Thank you again for being with uh, Charlie and for making it possible for him to be home so that he and Barb can celebrate their 38th anniversary. Lord, that is a testimony of your love and your grace working in lives. And Lord, may that serve as an example to all of us, is how you sustain us in relationship. And Lord, may we be those kind of people, that we would sustain the relationships that we have around us. That if there's healing that needs to happen, that Lord, we would take step towards that healing. If there's forgiveness that needs to take place, that God, we would be a forgiving people. And that we would also be quick to ask for forgiveness in our lives. Lord, none of us are perfect. None of us are. So we need your grace. And uh, we need you to work amongst us so that we can honor you with the relationships that we have. May we do that as a body of Christ here at Common Ground. Lord, may you make us rich. May you make us full in your grace today. Uh, as Pastor Evan comes to share your word with us today, may you speak into him that he can speak into our lives. And uh, your Holy Spirit would just rest upon him, bringing him joy as he serves you today and as he serves this body and shepherds as well. So God, again, thank you so many things that we can be grateful for, so many things that we can lay down at your feet today as sacrifices of praise and also testimonies of just our dependence upon you in each and every aspect of our life. God, we love you. Uh, we adore you. We pray that we would be pleasing in your sight this day through the work of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for leading that time. Thanks to everyone else. Winter for leading worship and for announcements. It's just great to see the body functioning in all our different gifts here. And that's always the hope um, that we continue to understand in this place is that it's not just the Evan Fowler show, but that there are so many different people with our giftings coming together. Um, to worship the Lord and to serve one another. And it was always great to see uh, Ben drum this morning and uh, to really rock out to it as well. Like I've never seen anyone play to a 200-year-old hymn before. So that was great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for leading in that. Well, hey, today we're in the last part of our short little series on what it means to be a disciple. 
um, as we have decided to be followers of Jesus in our lives. What exactly does that mean? We've been answering that question, and we've been looking at how a disciple is someone who abides with Jesus, someone who spends time with him. Um, and Nick started, started this out explaining that a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus, but not just like a student sitting in a classroom hearing a lecture, but who enters into a relationship with him where time is spent by his side. And then we talked about doing the work of Jesus, and we considered what is Jesus good at that we wanted to be good at, and that Jesus is good at seeing people and seeing problems and seeing power differently than we do. And then we looked at what's Jesus like. We looked at the story of Jesus expressing his compassion in ways that we seek to express it. And so as we've been looking at our role as a, as a disciple and our functions of what a disciple does, uh, we're going to finish off here with what I think is one of the most foundational aspects of being a disciple. Um, and as we've looked at Jesus as the goal of discipleship, because obviously we're following him, I think that's really the foundation, but in the Bible, there are also a lot of other examples and illustrations that God has given us in the form of ordinary, regular people who are following Jesus, and we can learn from that. And so that's what we're going to do today as we consider what it means to be a disciple. We're going to look at one of those ordinary followers of Jesus by looking at the life of Simon Peter, the journey that he had in following Jesus, because I think there's a lot that he experienced that he went through that is important for us. And it's important for us because when it comes to being a disciple, we know that it's not all just about what we can do for Jesus and how we can be like him and how we can do his work. But being a disciple is first and foremost about what he has done for us. And before we can get to doing the work of Jesus or being like Jesus or spending time with Jesus, we have to recognize that disciples of Jesus are forgiven for our failures. That first and foremost, before it gets to the work, before it gets to being like, being a disciple of Jesus is rooted in our forgiveness that we have received from him. Because the reality is that all disciples of Jesus will, one means or another, fail. I'm sorry if I broke that news to you, or if that's not you, I apologize. That's where I'm coming from in my life and in my following of Jesus. Is that as we look through the Bible and as we see examples of people following Jesus, one of the most common things, frankly, is failure. <laughs> But in light of that failure is also Jesus's amazing forgiveness. And so as we look at Peter's story, that is one of the things we're going to see the clearest. Because as we know, Peter's journey of following Jesus was not all always up and to the right. He had moments of intense commitment where he said, Jesus, you are the Christ. And then he tried to stop Jesus' arrest, and Jesus said, get behind me. <laughs> then he said, well, Jesus, I will die for you. And then when people asked him, if you are a follower of Jesus, he says, no, I don't even know the guy. And then he proclaimed three times, Jesus, I love you. As we look at Peter's story, we don't just see this beautiful, easy journey of following Jesus. Uh, we see a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> we see ups and downs. We see moments of intense commitment, and we see... Failures. We see moments of not quite doing what a disciple should do. But hopefully as we look at his story, we're obviously going to see how Jesus treats him, how Jesus approaches him, and how Jesus calls him in light of his failures. And so that's what we're going to look at today, Peter's journey. And if you know much about Peter, then you'll know that he was obviously a disciple of Jesus. Um, his real name was Simon. 
<laughs> Nobody ever mentions that. They always just mention it's Peter, right? But his real name was Simon, and then Jesus gave him the nickname Peter, or Petros, which is where we get the name Peter from. And Petros literally just means rock. And so Jesus gave him this honorable nickname, honorable nickname, and straight up said, Simon, you are Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You are the rock. And then he said, and on this rock, because Jesus was the master of play on words, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so Peter, he's known for being the zealous, intense, passionate disciple of Jesus. Uh, maybe a little reckless. I know I've heard it many, many times. There are like different pastors that I know who always say, oh, I really relate to Peter. And then I think about them, and I'm like, no, you're like really shy and timid. You're not like Peter. And so I would say, like, I do not, I'm probably not like Peter very much. Peter was zealous. He was intense. And his zealousy probably got the best of him in some times, where he acted a little recklessly or without thinking. Um, but nonetheless, Peter was a very committed disciple. Peter was the first disciple to declare that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And he makes all these intense professions of faith throughout his time of following Jesus. He says things like, I will follow you anywhere. And when a lot of disciples walked away from Jesus in John 6, Peter said, Lord, to whom else would we go? He said, I will go to jail for you. He said, I will follow you anywhere. I will die for you. And Peter had genuine faith. But that's not how it would play out through his whole story. His journey had a lot of ups and downs. And as many of us know, if you have been following Jesus for any length of time, that's pretty similar to our story as well. Where one day we can have these moments of our chest puffed up and motivated and ready to fight for Jesus. And the very next day we can have moments where we don't even acknowledge our relationship with him. Or we might even deny it. And we know that Peter's story and Peter's journey of following Jesus is very similar to ours and the way that ours looks. And we're going to start this journey. We're mostly going to be in Luke chapter 22 today. And so if you find your way to Luke chapter 22, um, we're going to look at a bit of Peter's story. But I'm just going to preface that um, by starting in John chapter 13 here to show kind of how this all begins. As we look at Peter's story and as we look at how Jesus forgives him and how a key foundation of being a disciple of Christ is being forgiven for him. But when it comes to John chapter 13, to set up what's going to happen in the later events, um, Jesus had just told his disciples that he was going away and that they would not be able to follow him where he is going. And confused, Peter responded to Jesus in John chapter 13. I have the words on the screen here. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Talk about taking the wind out of this intense disciple sails, right? Here, Peter had been walking with him for three years already by this point. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to die for you. I'm really committed. Jesus predicts that that very night, he actually would deny him. And if we jump ahead in the story, uh, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that Peter was there. That when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter's there. And Peter jumps in the way into Jesus' defense, 
and tr tries to protect Jesus from being arrested. And in his recklessness and in his haste, he actually swings a sword at one of the high priest guards and chops off his right ear. And we're told that that guy who had his ear cut off was named Malchus, which is a really unfortunate way to be remembered throughout history as the guy who had his ear cut off trying to arrest Jesus. Um, but in Luke's account there, Jesus touches his ear and heals him. Um, but nonetheless, after this, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Peter, stop, put your sword back in its sheath. And he rebukes him. And then Jesus is arrested and taken to a secret trial in the middle of the night. And as the story goes, Peter actually followed Jesus to this trial. Peter and John and a few disciples followed Jesus after he was arrested. And to Peter's credit, he's continuing to follow. Even after he was rebuked, even after he just made that mistake of trying to keep Jesus from being arrested, he still follows. He sticks close with him. And we're told in Luke chapter 22 there that John was recognized at the door. And so he was let in. He was let in to where the trial was happening. But Peter was stuck outside and he was watching from outside the door. And so then John looks back outside and he sees Peter there and he goes and he talks to the people guarding the door and he lets Peter in. And so it says that Peter is able to walk into the courtyard um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 55, and it's going to record what happens next. So Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken in to this courtroom and he's going to be on trial. And Peter and John are following along, staying close by, keeping an eye on what's happening. And Luke chapter 22, verse 55 records what happens next. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. And so it's unclear if she's being accusatory or condemning in her tone, but either way, Peter just emphatically denies that he knows Jesus. And instead of being at Jesus' side like John was, John continued on and was closer to the action than Peter. Peter stays out here in the courtyard, just trying to blend in and warming himself by fire. One of the other gospel accounts just records that he is standing by this charcoal fire, warming himself. And I'm sure the events of the last day are running through his mind. Jesus saying, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. But nonetheless, Peter's just trying to blend in, just trying to hang out, just trying to stay warm by this fire. Verse 58 continues on. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. The man I am not, Peter replied. So Peter's attempt to just blend in is not going well here. Verse 59 continues. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And so at this point, I don't know if it was his mannerisms or the way he dressed or what it was about him, but people noticed that he was from Galilee, the same region where Jesus was from. And so he is being associated with Jesus here. And still, again, Peter emphatically denies that he knows him. This is the third time. I do not know what you are talking about. And as soon as he says these words, as soon as these words leave his lips, just as Jesus predicted, a rooster is going to crow. So in verse 60, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me 
three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So this, this is the worst moment in Peter's life right here. He has just denied his Lord and Savior that he has followed for three years, three times. And he feels immense pain and immense guilt. He was taught by Jesus, he was fed by Jesus, he was cared for by Jesus. He said, I will fight for you, I will go to jail for you, and he made these commitments. And here, he denies him, denies even knowing him three times. And this gospel account, it records this powerful moment where Jesus says the Lord looked, turned and looked straight at Peter. And church tradition holds that they made eye contact. That somehow from where Peter was at this fire, he could see in courtroom, and he and Jesus locked eyes immediately after dying him three times. And then the rooster crowed. And when he heard this, he remembered what Jesus had said to him before. And he realized that he had failed. And so he wept bitterly and left. This is, this is a pit. This is the dark night of the soul. This is the wall. This is the worst failure that Peter has ever done. He just denied Jesus three times. It doesn't really get much worse than that. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Because what happened after this is, of course, Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he's nailed to a cross, <coughs> and we know that it was on that cross that all of the failures, all the betrayal, all of the sins of Peter were put on Jesus. And likewise, all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our betrayals, all of our denials of knowing him, were put on him. And nonetheless, even though Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times this very night, Jesus went willingly to that cross. He knew that he would fail, he knew that we would sin, but Jesus went to provide forgiveness. Because he knew being a disciple didn't require that the disciples are perfect or that they're going to do everything right or not fail, but discipleship is built on his forgiveness. And even if his disciples were going to let him down, Jesus was going to forgive them anyway. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. <laughs> Paul doesn't have a lot of confidence in humanity. <laughs> but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in dying for us, there on the cross, Christ bears the burden of our sin. He bears the punishment for our sin <coughs> that our betrayal is put on him. And the good news is, of course, if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, we know that that's not the end of the story, that three days later, Jesus would be raised from the dead, that Jesus is now alive, and that is the good news of the gospel that we preach. And so for Peter and for the disciples, after this, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they were able to see him in the flesh. They were able to see him in his new spiritual body. And when they first heard this news, Peter was one of the first ones to run to the tomb to see for himself if Jesus had indeed been raised from the dead. 
They rushed over the tomb. And then Jesus, over the course of 40 days, appeared to them three different times. And they were able to interact with the risen Christ after this. And we're going to go next to John chapter 21. So now this is after two full resurrection appearances of Jesus. Jesus, over the course of these 40 days, has been appearing to his disciples and teaching them and spending time with them and explaining all that was taught about him in the Old Testament and explaining all that his resurrection now meant. And so we're going to look at here in John chapter 21. This is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And they say the third time is the charm. And this third time was pretty important for Peter um, with the journey that he had been on, with the failure that he had committed. And now Jesus here, John chapter 21, in his third appearance, is going to rewrite Peter's story. He's going to really show him that he's forgiven. So starting in verse 1 of John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so Jesus had appeared to the disciples twice. He had been raised from the dead. History had now been changed forever. And what does Peter say? I'm going fishing. <laughs> Some of you guys can relate to that. Some people suggest that maybe this was a sin or this was wrong for Peter to do. I'm not 100% sure. Um, he could have just been carrying on with everyday life, or it could have clearly been. But either way, he's going fishing. And we read that they went and they fished all night, but they caught nothing. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, then this should remind you of another story as well, right? One of the first times that Peter committed to following Jesus, there was a very similar story, wasn't there? Where Peter is, is fishing all night and says that they caught nothing. And then Jesus tells Peter, it's in the morning, they're washing their nets, and Jesus tells Peter, hey, why don't you try throwing your net off to the other side. And Peter and the rest of the disciples are probably thinking, well, you know, net fishing is a lot easier at nighttime, now it's daytime, and we're done, so that's not a good idea, but nonetheless, they do it. They throw their net off the other side, and they have this miraculous catch of fish, so much so that they need two other people to bring boats to help them haul in all these fish. And that was when Peter declared, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And that's when Peter began to follow Jesus as a disciple. This is a very similar story, isn't it? And the passage goes on, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. I'm sure they're a little upset about that. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. So when this first happened, you know, Peter blurted out, Lord, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And at this point, you'd almost expect him to say the same thing because 
It's happening again. And at this point, Peter had, you know, actually denied Christ three times. And when he first declared that he was a sinful man, he hadn't done all the things that he had done now. But at this point, his response is a doubt. Instead, Peter immediately jumps out of the boat and he rushes to the shore, he tells us. He's not even going to wait for them to drag the net there. He's going to swim there. He's going to swim 100 yards. And even though Peter might feel worse about himself than he did before, even though Peter knows all the ways that he's failed and let Jesus down, he knows that that doesn't disqualify him or prevent him from running to Jesus. Or I guess swimming to Jesus in this case. That being a disciple is not prevented by our failures. That being a disciple is actually rooted in Jesus' forgiveness, not our failures. So Peter is on his way. He's going to go see Jesus. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now I know that we could... We could spend a lot of time running down all the rabbit holes and all the different theological ideas that are in here. I can't wait to do that in our Wednesday Bible study, which we might get there in, like, July. To John chapter 21, we got a ways to go. But I think there's one detail here that would have stuck out to Peter the most. That was this charcoal fire that's burning here. The smell, the flicker of the flame, this detail stuck out to Peter. Because at this moment, when he sees that there is this fire burning, in his mind, he's transported back in time, right? Back to that other fire that he sat around, back to his worst moment, when he denied Christ three times. And he vividly remembers the words leaving his lips, I don't know him. Uh, no, don't know the guy. Don't know what you're talking about. That was Peter's worst failure at a charcoal fire there. His worst guilt, his worst shame. And it's undeniable that Jesus has intentionally recreated this scene for Peter. He's recreated Peter's worst moment because, as we know, Jesus does not just gloss over our sin. He just doesn't forget about it and say, we're going to move on. It's like it never happened. But he redeems it. He enters into it. This situation where Peter failed is not just brushed off and moved on, but he invites us to face our failures and to face our sins head on, but with him, so that he can offer his forgiveness, so that he can rewrite this story. He does this for a reason. He recreated Peter's worst moment. And in verse 15, the story continues. <coughs> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. So now, just as Peter was asked three questions around the last fire, now sitting in a charcoal fire, Jesus asks him three questions again. And he's transforming Peter's worst moment of three denials of three failures into three affirmations of faith. Now every time Peter's mind will go back to that terrible night at the first fire, which I'm sure it will, just like my mind will continue to race back to all the failures and all the mistakes that I've made. Now for Peter, every time that that happens, he remembers that fire where he denied the Lord, and he also remembers sitting with Jesus on the beach, having fish for breakfast, when he says, you know that I love you. And he affirms his faith in Jesus. So anytime he remembers that he had spoken the words, I do not know him, he also remembers, you know that I love you. And I don't know what you're talking about, I'm not his follower. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And man, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus has just rewritten this story for Peter. And his worst failure here has now been remade. It's now been changed. And in these two charcoal fires, Jesus offers Peter this forgiveness, and he shows us a profound and honest picture of our lives as well. A picture of our worst failures and Jesus' desire to rewrite them. And if you read between the lines here, you see that Jesus is there with Peter. He's present. He didn't give up on Simon Peter. He didn't write him off and say, well, you're not going to be the disciple that's, I'm going to build my church on. Not any chance, not after what you've done. See, Jesus, at this point, has been raised from the dead. He has expressed that he is the most powerful being on the planet, that he holds the keys to hell and to death, and he is more powerful than the power of death here. And he is expressing in his resurrection appearances resurrection power. And so here, Jesus, expressing his resurrection power, chooses to express this power at breakfast with a disciple who needs to be forgiven here. That's where Jesus' power is on display in this moment here reconcile his failed disciple. That's amazing to me. <coughs> Jesus could have done in his third appearance. He went, recreated this moment for Peter, and rewrote the story. And one of the interesting details that you'll notice in verses 15 through 17 here is that Jesus speaks to him as Simon, right? He speaks to him as Simon, not as Peter. Because he's dressing the elephant in the room here, and he's meeting Simon where he's at. You're not quite the rock just yet. And he's not doing that for the sake of just, like, bringing up old wounds or dragging him down. He's 
It's reminding him that the only way Simon can be Peter is through Jesus' resurrection power, right? Through Jesus' forgiveness. Because on his own, Simon doesn't have it, what it takes to be the rock all the time. He's going to have successes, and he's going to have moments of failure. And Jesus here is saying, oh, I am with you, and this process of you being changed to Peter is on me. It's on my power at work in your life. And Jesus can and will do that. And he can and will call even failed disciples to build his church, to do his work, to follow him, to be like him, to do the things that he does. And that's where you see Jesus here saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Reminding him of the calling that he has on his life. Restoring this call that I'm going to build my church on this rock. And at this point, Peter is probably thinking, probably not me, I'm not a rock. I denied him three times. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And then just as Peter had declared that he would die for Jesus, um, Jesus says, look, uh, you're still going to have that opportunity. Don't worry. <laughs> Verse 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And church history affirms that this is indeed what happened to Peter in his life. Um, but then we see the true calling of Peter here. We see his calling reinstituted in verse 19. After all this, he says, Peter, you didn't give your life up for me. That's okay. You can have another chance. Don't worry. And he said to him, follow me. Follow me. You are my disciple. Jesus is saying, Jesus is recalling him. Follow me, Peter. Even after all this, even after your biggest failure, even after your mistake, you've affirmed that you love me, follow me. That the key aspect of a disciple of Jesus is not whether or not you can just continue um, to do everything right, but it's are you forgiven by Jesus? And this is what Jesus does. That in spite, of, in spite of Peter's failures, he says, follow me. You are called to be my disciple. And you see, discipleship is messy. Following Jesus is messy. If we're honest and take a look at our lives, we know that we have failed Jesus just as many times as we have succeeded. And these failures and these sins, they leave a mark on us. Just like charcoal. We have charcoal here. That when you touch this stuff, just as you touch sin, it marks you, makes a mess. And we're constantly reminded of this as we follow Jesus. We are not a good disciple. We're not a rock. We can't do this. And we all have our own versions of what's happened that night at the first charcoal fire, don't we? We all have our own versions of how we have let Jesus down, how we failed him. And what I want to invite us into now is that second charcoal fire. That second fire where Jesus rewrites that moment. Where Jesus calls Peter to revisit his worst moment 
so that he can offer his forgiveness, so that he can remind Peter that he is forgiven. And it's at that second charcoal fire that Jesus asks him three questions again and gives him the opportunity to affirm his faith three times. And his three denials have now become three affirmations of faith. And this charcoal fire now has a new meaning for Peter. It's now a new story for Peter. That Jesus' undeserving grace to a failed disciple is now affirmed in Peter's faith. And when those stories of our failure play on repeat in our lives, in our minds, and we continue to go back to that first fire, I think we're invited to the second fire. We're invited to receive forgiveness. It's the foundation of our discipleship with Christ. And so here's what I want to do, and what I want to invite you into for the next few minutes. We have some charcoal down front. This is homemade charcoal from Chris, by the way, so it's not going to have any chemicals or lighter fluid on it. It's about as pure as it can get. And I want to invite you to come to this charcoal fire to revisit those tracks that play on repeat in your mind, reminding you of the failures that we've committed, reminding us of the sins that we've committed that make us feel like we are not worthy of being a disciple. And then we're going to invite you to read Psalm 51 as a prayer. We have there's sheets on each one of these three tables. And I want you to rub a bit of the charcoal on your hands as a reminder of that sin that we know marks us and that sin that we cannot get off of our minds. And I want you to read Psalm 51 and the encouraging word of Christ's forgiveness that he has offered for you. And once you read Psalm 51, we have some Kirkland signature flushable wipes. Here, you're not going to get that in Rapid City. That you can use to wipe off this charcoal and to be reminded that in Christ that you're made clean. Of the forgiveness that he has offered to you. And as you wipe your hands and these stains from your hands, would you just turn to God in prayer and in your own words would you thank him for the forgiveness that he has offered you? Would you remember that even in our worst moments, that Christ offers us forgiveness. He offers to rewrite these stories, to restore our calling, to restore our calling to feed his sheep, to take care of his lambs, and to follow him. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll invite you forward. Well, Father God, we just thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you calling us to follow you even though we don't do it for and Jesus some of us have been following you for a long time some of us just a little while or some of us we might not even be sure yet but Jesus we just know that you have offered us forgiveness and whatever that that story is that's playing on repeat of our in our minds of the time in which we betrayed you we locked eyes with you the rooster crowed and we are reminded of the words that you spoke to us. We recognize our failure. We just recognize 
that nothing that we have done has earned this forgiveness, but you have done everything. So we just turn to you with a posture of thanksgiving. With a posture of gratitude, thanking you for the forgiveness that you offer us. So Jesus, as we enter into this time, I just ask that you would release us from this story that's playing on repeat in our minds with that first struggle fire. As you call us to the second fire in which you restore us. We just give this time to you. Would you speak to our hearts and minds of the calling that you've placed on our lives? So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. At this time, I'll invite you forward. And there's one in the back as well.
thanks again for entering into that activity there. And as you look at your hands, I hope that you recognize that there is no mark of sin on anyone. And if there is, that's just where the activity breaks down. And so be reminded that maybe that ash left over is from the second miracle part, which Jesus has declared given. And so as you go, would you go with the words of Psalm 51 here? But would you go with them as a blessing? Knowing from verse 7 that he has purified you from your sins, that you have been made clean, that he has washed you and made you whiter than snow, that he has given you back joy and pen because he was broken. And so now we may rejoice. And I bless you with the reality and the knowledge of knowing that God no longer looks at your sins, but has removed the stain of your guilt, that he has created in you a clean heart and renewed a loyal spirit within you, and that he has promised to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So now, as you go, would you go restored to the joy of your salvation, knowing that Christ has made in you a heart willing to obey him. So thank you for coming this morning, Comic Con. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful week. <coughs>